Lesson 3 for January 11 through 17 from Mystery to Revelation, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, January 11. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are some things in the Bible that stand out, and this week's lesson covers the chapter, chapter 2 of Daniel, that details what you're able to do, and also your forethought and your foresight, and also teaches us that your word is true and worthy of recognition. We pray that as we open your word this week, that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Let's read that again, Daniel 2 verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. In the waters around Greenland are icebergs of many sizes. Sometimes the small ice flows move in one direction, while their massive counterparts flow in another. What happens is that surface winds drive the little ones, whereas the huge masses of ice are carried along by deep ocean currents. When we consider the rise and fall of nations throughout history, it is similar to accounting for the surface winds and the ocean currents. The winds represent everything changeable and unpredictable, just like human will. But operating simultaneously with these gusts and gales is another force, even more powerful and very similar to the ocean currents. It is the sure movement of God's wise and sovereign purposes. As Ellen White said in Desire of Ages, page 32, Like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know no haste and no delay. End of quote. Although the rise and fall of nations, ideologies and political parties seem to happen at the discretion of human whim alone, Daniel 2 shows that it is the God of heaven who actually moves human history to its grand finale. Sunday, January 12. The Imminence of God. Question. Read Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. What crisis do the Hebrews face because of the dream that the Lord gives to the king? Daniel 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. 
If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honour. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Dreams were taken very seriously in the ancient world. When a dream seemed foreboding, it often indicated an impending disaster. Thus, it is understandable why Nebuchadnezzar becomes so anxious about a dream that, to make things even more ominous, he can no longer remember. Babylonian experts believed that the gods could reveal the interpretation of dreams, but in the case of this dream in Daniel, there is nothing that the experts can do because the king has forgotten the dream. If the content of the dream were conveyed to them, they would come up with an interpretation to please the king. But in this unprecedented situation... When the dream experts are unable to tell the king what his dream is about, they are forced to admit that there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Daniel 2, verse 11. Overwhelmed with frustration, the king commands that all the wise men of Babylon be killed. Such an atrocity was not unknown in the ancient world. Historical sources attest that, because of a conspiracy, Darius I had all the Magi executed, and Xerxes put to death the engineers who had built a bridge that collapsed. When Nebuchadnezzar issues his decree, Daniel and his companions have just finished their training and been admitted into the circle of the king's experts. For this reason, the death decree issued by the king applies to them as well. In fact, The original language suggests that the killing starts immediately, and Daniel and his friends will be executed next. But Daniel, 
with counsel and wisdom, verse 14, approaches Arioch, the man in charge of carrying out the executions. Eventually, Daniel requests time from the king himself in order to solve the mystery of the dream. Interestingly, although the king has accused the magicians of trying to buy time, he promptly grants the time Daniel requests. Daniel certainly agrees with the magicians that no human being can solve such a mystery, but the prophet also knows of a God who can reveal both the content and the interpretation of the dream. So, to finish today, theologians talk about the imminence of God, that, though distinct from creation, God can still be so close to it. What does the fact that he gives King Nebuchadnezzar a dream teach us about just how imminent God can be to us? Acts 17 verse 28 reads, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Monday, January 13, The Prayer Daniel immediately grabs his three friends for a prayer session, explaining that they will be executed if God does not reveal the dream. Whenever we face a big problem, we also should recognise that our God is great enough to resolve even the most unsolvable challenges. Question. Read Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 23. What are the two kinds of prayers prayed here? Daniel 2, beginning at verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God for ever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Two types of prayer are mentioned in this chapter. The first is a petition prayer in which Daniel asks God to reveal the content of the dream and its interpretation, and we read that in verses 17 to 19. The words of this prayer are not given, but we are told that Daniel and his friends, as it says in verse 18, seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. As they pray, God answers their petition and reveals the content and interpretation of the king's dream. 
we can rest assured that whenever we seek mercies from the God of heaven, our prayers will be heard as well, even if not in such a dramatic manner as we see here, because the God of Daniel is our God too. In response to God's answering their petition, Daniel and his friends burst into a prayer of thanksgiving and praise. They praise God for being the source of wisdom and for being in control of nature and political history. There is an important lesson we can learn here. As we pray and plead with God for so many things, how often do we praise and thank Him for answering our prayers? The experience of Jesus with the ten lepers provides an apt illustration of human ingratitude. Out of ten who are healed, only one comes back to give glory to God, as it says in Luke 17 and verse 18. Daniel's response not only reminds us of the importance of thanksgiving and praise, but also reveals the character of the God we pray to. When we pray to Him, we can trust Him to do what is in our best interest, and thus we should always praise and thank Him. So to finish today, read Psalm 138. What can you take away from this prayer of thanksgiving that can help you learn to be thankful to God, regardless of your circumstances? Psalm 138, beginning at verse 1. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Tuesday, January 14, The Image, Part 1 Question, Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 to 30 What does Daniel say here that's so important for us always to remember? Also look at John 15, verse 5 Daniel 2, beginning at verse 24 Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king, and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen, and its interpretation? 
Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And John chapter 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. In response to prayer, God reveals the content of the dream and its interpretation. And Daniel does not hesitate to tell the king that the solution of the mystery comes from the God in heaven. Also, prior to reporting the content of the dream and its interpretation, Daniel mentions the unexpressed thoughts and concerns of the king as the latter lay sleepless in bed. This circumstantial information further emphasises the credibility of the message, because such information known only to the king must have come to Daniel through a supernatural power. But, as Daniel proceeds to report the content of the dream, he risks triggering another crisis, because the dream is not necessarily good news for Nebuchadnezzar. Question, read Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 49. What does the dream say is the fate of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? Daniel 2, beginning at verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, 
the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. The dream consists of a majestic image with its head of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, verses 32 and 33. Eventually, a stone struck the image on its feet in verse 34, and the whole structure was destroyed and scattered like chaff on the wind. Daniel explains that the different metals represent successive kingdoms that will replace one another throughout the course of history. For Nebuchadnezzar, the message is clear. Babylonia, with all its might and glory, will pass away and be replaced by another kingdom, which will be followed by others until a kingdom of a completely different nature will replace them all, God's eternal kingdom, which will last forever. And so to finish today, look at how fleeting and temporary all human things are. What should this fact teach us about the great hope we have in Jesus and in Jesus alone? As we read in John 6 verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wednesday, January 13, The Image Part 2. Question. Read again the dream and its interpretation in Daniel 2, 31-49. to 
What does this teach us about God's foreknowledge of world history? You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendour was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors." The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God, is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king." The prophecy conveyed by Nebuchadnezzar's dream provides a general prophetic outline and functions as the yardstick with which to approach the more detailed prophecies of Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and Daniel 11. Also, Daniel 2 is not a conditional prophecy. It is an apocalyptic prophecy, a definitive prediction of what God foresaw and would actually bring to pass in the future. 1. The head of gold represents Babylon, which lasted from 626 to 539 BC. 
Indeed, no other metal could better represent the power and wealth of the Babylonian Empire than gold. The Bible calls it the golden city in Isaiah 14.4 and a golden cup in the Lord's hand in Jeremiah 51 verse 7. Revelation 18 verse 16 reads, reads, And saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. The ancient historian Herodotus reports that an abundance of gold embellished the city. 2. The chest and arms of silver stand for Medo-Persia, which lasted from 539 to 331 BC. As silver is valued less than gold, the Medo-Persian Empire never attained the splendour of the Babylonian. In addition, silver also was a fitting symbol for the Persians because they used silver in their taxation system. 3. The belly and thighs of bronze symbolise Greece from 331 to 168 BC. Ezekiel 27.13 portrays the Greeks as bartering bronze vessels. We read this in Ezekiel 27.13, Javan, Tubal and Meshach were your traders. They bartered human lives and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Greek soldiers were noted for their bronze armour. Their helmets, shields and battle axes consisted of brass. Herodotus tells us that Samothicus I of Egypt saw in invading Greek pirates the fulfilment of an oracle that foretold men of bronze coming from the sea. For the legs of iron aptly represent Rome from 168 BC to AD 476. As Daniel explained, the iron represented the crushing power of the Roman Empire, which lasted longer than any of the previous kingdoms. Iron was a perfect metal to represent the empire. 5. The feet partly of iron and partly of clay represent a divided Europe from AD 476 till the second coming of Christ. The mixture of iron with clay provides a fitting picture of what happened after the disintegration of the Roman Empire. Although many attempts have been made to unify Europe, ranging from marriage alliances between royal houses to the present European Union, division and unity have prevailed, and according to this prophecy will remain so until God establishes the eternal kingdom. Thursday, January 16, The Stone Question, read Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35 and 44 and 45. What do these verses teach us about the ultimate fate of our world? Daniel 2, beginning at verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became 
became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel chapter 2 verses 44 and 45. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. The focus of the dream is on what will happen in the latter days, as it says in chapter 2, verse 28. As powerful and rich as they may have been, the metal and clay kingdoms are nothing but a prelude to the establishment of the stone kingdom, whereas to some extent metals and clay can be products of human manufacture, the stone in the dream comes untouched by human hands. In other words, although each of the previous kingdoms eventually comes to an end, the kingdom represented by the stone will last forever. The metaphor of the rock, then, often symbolises God. For example, in Deuteronomy 34 verse, sorry, 32 verse 4, He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And First Samuel chapter 2 verse 2, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And Psalm 18 verse 31, For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? And the stone likewise may be a representation of the Messiah, as we read in Psalm 118 verse 22 and 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 7. Psalm 118 verse 22 reads, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And 1 Peter 2, beginning at verse 4, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone." Thus, nothing is more appropriate than the figure of a stone to symbolise the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. Some argue that the stone kingdom was established during Jesus' earthly ministry and that the propagation of the gospel stands as an indication that the kingdom of God has taken over the entire world. Yet, the stone kingdom comes into existence only after the four main kingdoms have fallen and human history has reached the time of the divided kingdoms, represented by the feet and toes of the image. This fact rules out the fulfilment during the first century because Jesus' earthly ministry took place during the dominion of Rome, the fourth kingdom. But the stone gives way to a mountain, that is, 
as it says in Daniel 2.35, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. A mountain such as this evokes Mount Zion, the place where the temple stood, the concrete representation of God's earthly kingdom in the Old Testament times. Interestingly, the stone cut from the mountain becomes a mountain itself. This mountain, which according to the text is already in existence, most likely points to the heavenly Zion, the heavenly sanctuary, whence Christ will come to establish his eternal kingdom. And, in the Jerusalem that will come down from heaven, recorded in Revelation 21 and 22, this kingdom will find its ultimate fulfilment. Let's read Revelation 21, verse 1, through to 22, verse 5. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and the twelve angels of the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honour of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles, or causes an abomination, or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there was no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. So to finish today, Daniel too has been correct on all the kingdoms so far. Why then is it so logical and wise to trust its prophecy about the coming of the final kingdom, God's eternal one? Why is it so irrational not to believe the prophecy? Friday, January 17. It is instructive to note that the image of Daniel 2 is made of gold and silver, which are metals related to economic power. The image also is made of bronze and iron, which were used for tools and weapons, and of pottery, which was used in the ancient world for literary and domestic purposes. Thus, the image provides a vivid portrayal of humanity and its accomplishments. Most appropriately, the distinct anatomical parts of the image convey the succession of world kingdoms and the final disunity that will prevail in the last days of human history. The stone, however, is distinctly depicted as something not made with human hands, Daniel 2.45, a powerful reminder of the supernatural end that will come to this temporary world and all its human accomplishments. Although Daniel H. Shea writes in his book Daniel, A Reader's Guide, published in 2005 by Pacific Press, page 98, reads, To the unaided human eye, human history may appear to be a chaotic interplay of forces and counterforces. 
Daniel assures us that behind all of this stands God, looking down upon it and moving within it to achieve what he sees best. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, how good to know that amid all the chaos and suffering of this world, God is ultimately in control and will bring everything to a glorious end. Until then, what is our role in seeking to do all the good that we can to help alleviate the suffering that exists in this fallen world? Two, how do we explain Daniel and the captives working so closely with and apparently loyally to a pagan leader who has done so much damage to Daniel's own people? 3. As we saw, some have argued that the stone cut out without hands refers to the spreading of the gospel to the world. That can't be right for a number of reasons, including what Daniel 2.35 says, which is that the stone will crush the previous nations and that the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. That did not happen after the cross. Furthermore, some attempts to identify the stone kingdom with the church fail to note that the stone kingdom replaces all other forms of human dominion. It is a kingdom that encompasses the whole world. Therefore, only Jesus' second coming can set in motion the process portrayed as the climax of this prophetic dream. Why, then, is the second coming of Jesus the only sensible interpretation of what the stone does in the end of days? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Book Untouched by Fire and again it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. A Nigerian student lost his possessions in a red-hot blaze that melted even the iron pipes in his apartment. But he was shocked to find one item undamaged, a copy of Ellen White's book The Great Hope. The student, Olajaj's Oluwatabi Igbinyemi immediately read the book and rushed to the local Seventh-day Adventist church whose members had given him the book on a literature evangelism Sabbath. This book is great, wonderful, Igbinyemi told astonished church members, holding up his intact copy of The Great Hope, an eleven-chapter abridged version of The Great Controversy. I have not seen this type of book, he said. The miracle made me to finish reading the book. The church members presented the book to Igbinyemi 30 in Edi, a city located about 135 miles or 220 kilometers northeast of Nigeria's capital, Lagos. Church members, working in cooperation with the World Church Mission to the City's goal to distribute one billion pieces of literature in cities around the globe, hand out thousands of copies of The Great Hope across Nigeria's state of Osun every quarter on Great Hope Day, a special Sabbath set aside for sharing the book, said Joseph Adabomi, president of the Adventist Church's Osun Conference. But then... 
Igben Yemi, a student at a Nigerian institution of higher education called Federal Polytechnic, Edi, went for a trip in September 2018, leaving the book in his rented one-room apartment. When he returned, he found that a fire had gutted the house. His school books, furniture and mattresses were destroyed. Even iron melted, Adabomi said. The cause of the fire was not immediately clear. But, as Igbenyemi sifted through the ashes, he found the great hope. That day, he eagerly finished reading the book, which uses history and prophecy to make sense of the chaos unfolding in today's world. Then he ran to the Adventist church to share his testimony. You do not know the book you are sharing, he declared, according to Adibomi. The power of God is in it. Igben Yemi, pictured, knelt before the congregation and praised God. The story is touching hearts and increasing people's faith in Nigeria's state of Osun. I have heard about Bibles not burning in fires, but I have never heard about any other book not burning, said Onolapo Ajabade, a retired pastor and former executive secretary of the West Central Africa Division, whose territory includes Nigeria. He lives in Anisa in Osun State. This miracle has increased my love for the spirit of prophecy books, and I personally need to apologise for the pronunciation of some of those names. If you've heard your name read incorrectly, please understand that I live in a totally different part of the world, and uh, I'd love to meet you someday. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.